Okay. Now, can I ask at the beginning, how many people know what a podcast is? We've got uh, about a third of people who don't. So I will do a very generic what podcasting means at the beginning. But what I am describing today is an, an experiment in an honours course that I ran last semester, which was using podcasts as a form of student assessment and student project work. So let us begin then with what actually a podcast is. At a basic level, a podcast, or the word at least, is a combination of the word iPod and broadcast. And you smush the two together and we get podcast, which is something of a misnomer because a podcast is an audio digital file that is downloadable, but the major difference is the method of download, which is syndication. So what that means is that you can use particular programs, for example, something like um, iTunes or various other what are called podcatchers, which are programs that read a syndication file. And what that means is instead of you having to go to a website every time and check if there's a new file, when this website updates, it sends a little message by something called really simple syndication, which tells your podcatcher, look, there's a new file, do you want to download it? And if it's set up in a particular way, that file can download without you doing anything at all. It can download, it can be waiting for you. And if you're particularly nerdy like myself, then you leave your iPod connected at night. And when you get up in the morning, anything that has been released overnight is waiting to play in your iPod. So that is, in essence, what a podcast is. Now, if we want to just have a quick look at what that is increasingly starting to be visualised as, the biggest podcast repository that people are becoming aware of is actually through the iTunes, well, the iTunes interface. It is part of the iTunes Music Store technically, but podcasts are free, and that is one of the major differences. There has not, to date, been a paid podcast, and clearly in the academic context, that should never be the case. So who has been podcasting thus far? Well, Governor Schwarzenegger has revived something similar to the fireside chats to get his message of intolerance to the people. The BBC is one of the world's biggest podcasting bodies. For public broadcasters, it is particularly useful because they are not profit-driven and therefore getting uh, content out to people in whichever format is best serves them very well because their mission statement is not to try and make money off it but simply to get the content out there and so podcasting has uh, they've done an experiment with the bbc with radio four five and a couple of other things and the go digital program for example has quadrupled its audience simply because it's downloadable outside of britain now but the biggest development has been people who would not ordinarily be putting out something similar to a radio program or an audio broadcast. So one of the biggest growth areas, interestingly, is what's called Godcasting. Godcasting are um, various religious practitioners who are taking the opportunity to get the message out and there are huge amounts of people who are downloading uh, recorded, well, not just sermons, but all sorts of things. So, well, that's the extent of my knowledge, to be honest. <laughs> and, of course, there are universities. So here's our logo embedded in an iPod just to show that we love to play with Photoshop too. So how are podcasts being used in the university settings? 
the two most well-known initiatives that have used podcasts, or at least those initiatives that have got media coverage, are the Stanford on iTunes project and Duke's digital initiative. Stanford on iTunes allowed Stanford to put up a lot of their uh, back catalogue of recorded public lectures, so similar to what the um, Institute for Advanced Studies does at UWA, and things like that, which are completely free to download, but are exclusively available via the iTunes interface. Um, as of about two weeks ago, I, uh, Apple has also announced that they are going to support that process um, through an initiative called iTunes U, which will basically allow universities almost free use of that service to host material. But there's a lot of politics around that, and that's not what we're doing today. Um, the other major one is Duke's Digital Initiative, which famously, um, first years got given iPods that were preloaded with maps and, and music and information about the university, and they were encouraged to use it in courses, and has been a fairly successful initiative. But they have also... Um, as part of that, embedded what has been called course casting or prof casting or learn casting or for some reason we can't just call it podcasting even though we've already got new words for things we keep reinventing the wheel. So course casting is in a nutshell course content being podcast. So to date we've used things like the iLecture system and various other technologies to record lectures, or at least in some universities and make them available as a streaming technology. So you can sit behind a computer and listen to an audio stream. But with podcasting, you free the material from the tyranny of the computer, if you like. You don't have to be sitting behind the computer to listen to a downloaded podcast. You get it, it's in your computer. If you're not connected to the internet anymore or you put it into your MP3 player or something similar, it's your content to take with you wherever you happen to go, which is one of the major benefits and um, course casting as a practice has only really been going anywhere for about a year. Podcasting the term's only um, about a year and a half. Well, sorry. It's only been in popular use for about a year and a half. Um, there are various other uses for podcasting, um, such as public lectures or I'm recording this conference presentation and we'll put it up on the web later embedded with the slides just because that's a fun thing to do. <laughs> But the major point is that almost everything that has been tried thus far has replicated the top-down delivery system. It is replicating what is widely considered the least useful part of the teaching practice, which is the lecture. It's the 45 minutes where I stand at the front and people listen and about 22 minutes really stop listening, but we try and re-encourage them somehow and then get to the end of 45 minutes. But there are, of course, alternatives, and this is a fairly dynamic technology. So... In a course that I set up last semester in communication studies here at UWA, I asked the students, firstly, we went, we, it, was, it is a thematic course that was on digital media, so yes, there's always the, would the students who are interested in that be interested specifically in this? Yes, they would, but there is a broad-based application for this, I'm arguing, but we'll come back to that. Um, so the iGeneration course, the major assessment at the end, instead of a major research essay, was a major research podcast in which I asked students to construct an innovative digital audio program of up to 45 minutes length, which explores the medium of podcasting and critically engages with the idea of participatory culture in either the podcast itself or its exegesis. The program can be any genre or type, but must comply with copyright restrictions as the file will be made publicly online. And I can't stress enough that when you start thinking about this, if you do for your students, stress that if you put something online that's in copyright, 
they're screwed because this is publicly available for the most part, so you must be careful with that. So in this context, students basically started thinking of research as a production process, not just a written process, and also started thinking of a potential audience because podcasts, if we make them publicly accessible, and there is technology to stop that if we so choose, then the audience can potentially be anyone. If we look, let me, oh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. One of the most important things about podcasting is that it can be done with freely available software tools and a very bare minimum of technology. So for example, the students in my course used just the most basic microphone, so a $20, $30 uh, Dick Smith Radio Shack job and a free audio, uh, open source audio program called Audacity. The good thing about podcasting is that the podcasting community at large has very close ties to the open source movement. So the tools tend to be developed quite well because there is a huge body of people interested in developing both technologies and making them publicly available. So Audacity is actually one of, for the basic things like cutting, pasting, editing, equalizing sound and so on and so forth, Audacity does the job remarkably well. So from this setup, basically, if students have a PC at home, all we really need to get them is a microphone and everything else is freely available. So on the basis of using that technology, we did a one-hour workshop and went through how do we use Audacity, and in all fairness, it could have been a 20-minute workshop and they would have got all the points we needed anyway, how to record some very basic things about sound, and we got to the point that they could record and edit themselves with out any great um, technical knowledge or input. Then they basically had about a month to work on this project and then this was handed in as their major research assignment at the end. And just to give an idea of how it looked here at UWA, we used the iLecture system which now supports podcasting, so we basically just dropped the files into the iLecture system and it gave us, the two important things are at the bottom it gave us three um, downloadable files and various um, quality of audio if you like, so different file sizes, but even the smallest one is perfectly, you can't hear too much distortion to the ear and it's pretty well handled. And all of that's done automatically by the Electus or Lectopia system as it's now called. But the other important thing is this button at the top which is subscribe to the podcast. And what that means is if we are releasing material not all at the same time but across, say, a period of a month or two months or the length of a semester. If students click on that button, they get a link of what's, uh, what's called an RSS feed. If you take that link and, and copy it into a podcatcher, so something like the iTunes music uh, software interface or a various, there are many others, but that's the widely known one, what will happen is that every time that that software package looks at the web, it'll say, is there a new file waiting to be downloaded? Because I'm looking at this string. So this, for example, we had, because we did it all at the end, this isn't really a brilliant case study for that, but we released one a day for six days. And if you subscribe to that feed on the first day, every time a new file was released, it turns up in your iTunes interface waiting to be listened to. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go back to that website. You don't even need to know where it is if you don't want to. Um, For the purposes of my course, and this will differ depending on what outcomes you're looking for, we used a course blog, so there was a publicly online 
um, presence for this course. And students actually chose to put up lengthy show notes. These are just excerpts because, you know, scroll all the way down the screen like 10 times and you can't really get that on a slide. Um, but the important thing is they put all their show notes up. So we didn't just have audio, we had, excuse me, associated notes. So if you wanted things like links to websites, instead of doing HTTP colon slash slash and describing a whole address, we'd simply say this website and look in the show notes for the links and things like that. So it's not divorcing from text, but it's having both at the same time that really makes it useful. But at the very end, we have this link here. So you can direct link to the files if you want to. So it doesn't have to happen through the subscription service and you can use each um, MP3 file, which is what we render through the system as a downloadable form that can be available on the web through a direct link. Is that all clear? Yep. Um, just, just for those who aren't familiar with the iLecture system or would like to think of how this will be used outside of university or the immediate context, um, to host files there are freely available services like ourmedia.org which is a front end to the internet archive which will basically let you put anything up online that does not have copyrighted material in it and they will host file sizes up to far larger than we could create with audio by itself. And there are freely available online tools that could that can create an, an RSS feed, so you can set that up as well. I won't go through the technical details because that'd be really boring. Um, okay. Student responses. Did students actually enjoy doing podcasts? And for the most part, yes. And admittedly, this is a really small sample group of five people. <laughs> it, it was an honours course and it was a, an experimental idea, so it was probably good to have a small group, but I do think the enthusiasm garnered from them would replicate into a much larger group. Now, examples of what they actually did, because that's sort of the interesting thing. Um, one of oh, two students decided to work together and actually did an alternative commentary to a Simpsons episode. So they, they played the DVD and they recorded, if you like, the, the equivalent of a director's commentary that you get in the DVD and did a really fantastic sort of cultural critique of the Simpsons as, as both the epitome and critique of consumer culture. So you basically played the podcast at the same time as the episode and sort of got this, this you know, student's commentary, which is, I think it's really good. Um, there's no copyright if you don't include the audio of The Simpsons. If it's just your commentary on it, then you're not infringing in any way. Um, and another example was a radio play that was done in the style of a 1930s RKO uh, radio production, but critique, not critiquing, satirising the bold and the beautiful in an Australian context called The Rich and the Rural, which <laughs> was quite funny. Um, so they're two examples of what the students chose to produce. Uh, oh look, we do have pedagogical benefits at the end. It's probably a good thing how we go on. So what is, is the pedagogical benefit of using this sort of, um, well, of using podcasts? The first one is that you are effectively turning the digital podium around. If students are getting used to hearing lectures as streaming formats or as podcasts, then it's sort of an, almost an impromptu online um, podium. But if we give students the opportunity to use similar technology to produce, in all fairness, fairly similar outcomes if they so choose, we can turn the digital podium around and equalise that process where they can create content and indeed we can comment on that, that uh, content 
and vice versa in a much more dynamic way, if you like. Um, secondly, obviously, creation of something is the epitome of the best possible way to learn it. If you want to know something, then you go and do it. And obviously, with media production, it increases critical media awareness and all of the sort of corollary of that. The other thing, and this is sort of increasingly an issue as we start to discuss things like e-portfolios across universities and things like that, is at the end, the students have created a cultural artefact. They have created something that if they have respected, and most of them did, they do not use copyright material, then they can use that as part of a portfolio, as something they can demonstrate to others, as something they can share with their friends or share their parents. Also, if the university so shows, we could use that as a showcase in our, you know, what students have done that's very cool and it is very cool. And so there is a cultural product and as long as the system that you choose will support that indefinitely. So if you're using the iLecture system, clearly one says, please don't erase my course after the six months because I'd like it to stay online and that arrangement can be made then it will exist as long as you want it to. And finally, the last point is that it is a great thing to do media production, but you want to find something simple if it's not the core of your course. And something like this is much easier than, for example, video production. And thus, it can be taught in the space of a two-hour workshop. And so students can grapple with this without it being in a specific media stream course. Oh, look. It was my grandiose summary statement that I forgot I had. So, in the course that I ran, which was called the I Generation, we're taking the I, which is also, of course, what Apple uses for their iLife, their iPod, their iMovies, whatever. But the I is a contentious issue. Does it stand for the information generation? Does it stand for the self-serving nature of a particular generation? What does it mean? Well, in this particular context, I'm taking it to mean the information generation. And this is a generation that is far more inclined to produce material online, be it through a blog, be it through uh, various other formats, and I won't go into that either. I realise I'm over time, I apologise. But we do have this situation where the I can become I create. Students do have the abilities and do have far more familiarity with these technologies for the most part than they would have even five years ago. So it's not an I consume generation, it is an I create generation. And in that sense, we can harness that for some very dynamic pedagogical outcomes. And of course, going with this conference theme, we learned that if we turn the digital podium around, I teaching becomes I learning and vice versa. And there's just some links up there. Um, this presentation will be available at my blog at the top. If you're interested in the specifications, the technical stuff about podcasting, that's also there. The iGeneration course is entirely online and all of the podcasts I described made by students are completely downloadable. Please feel free to go and listen to one, offer feedback if you'd like. And a really good article summarising these developments that was in the EDUCORE's review in December, there's also a direct link to that. This will all be put up on uh, the top blog address if you are interested in finding further information. And now I've terribly violated my 10 minute talk time, so we've got five minutes for questions. Thank you. I'd be interested to know how academics as a body have embraced this sort of the digital podium, given it makes them so accountable. I mean, it's very good to yep. teach, ram it down to um, students' throats that, you know, copyright is, you know, so important. But if you're then 
podcasting your lectures. Mm -hmm. You're just as accountable as they are. There are two very different answers to that. One is which there is a, sadly, probably a minority who think it's fantastic that all this material gets out there into the public, and indeed there is sort of a philosophical movement, the open source and open course type movements that do want to see everything shared. For the vast majority of academics who are very scared about intellectual property rights for the most part, there is the capacity to lock this down within a university's firewall um, or you know, link it to a, an IP address so only somebody coming in from UWA can access this if you so chose. Um, iTunes clearly has many, many digital rights management opportunities linked into it. So, for example, Stanford has also got some course casting done, but that's not publicly visible and only their students could download it. So it is lockable. But in this particular case, that would be antithetical to what the course was about. Tell us a bit more about Audacity and how you access it. Audacity is an open source uh, audio editor. Its uh, address, I think, is audacity.sourceforge.net. But um, if you just do a Google for Audacity, it'll be the first hit. Um, is it it's free? yeah, it's free. It has been developed um, over the space of about six years by various groups, but um, podcasting sort of kicked over the latest iterations of that, and it's. <coughs> thankfully now a fairly stable product and actually is, is, it does have one or two quirks but it is a very simple audio editor that is free to use and is widely used by the podcasting community thus there are many how-to guides and things like that online if students do have questions. Is it PC and Mac? Yep, it's also got a Linux version. And just digressing slightly, you were talking earlier about you know, prop casting or course casting. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you sort of um, put that with getting students to come that's a question that's almost always asked and the answer to that is if the lecture's good, students will come and if there's an alternative format for that, students will still come to the face-to-face -face lecture. There is not a substantial study to that effect but all of the small anecdotal studies say that good lectures will always have students turn up face-to-face -face, and if they're not, that's perhaps an opportunity to reflect on the lecturer as much as the technology. Yes? We have all of our classes available yeah, well, we would have a similar experience here at UWA, but it hasn't been a, a notable drop-off since we've had the iLecture system running for six, seven, seven years, Lisa? Maybe not that many. A, a number of years at any rate, yeah. Okay, sure do. <laughs>